Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And today we're joined on the phone by Vice President and Principal Analyst Brian Hopkins to discuss edge computing. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thank you. Welcome. So, Brian, the concept of an edge has been around for a while. So why is it of interest now? Yeah, Victor, it's kind of a, uh, a story of the old has become new again. Uh, as you point out, uh, at least in the network and telecom space, uh, they've been talking about the edge of their networks uh, for a very long time. We've been doing things out in, in the wild, in the, in the industrial setting with SCADA and PLC systems for a long time. These, these are not new. But the conversation around edge has, we've seen it um, spike enormously lately. And because we think there are some, some new considerations there and, and really we're undertaking from a research perspective to bring all these new things in and really re-examine what it means to talk about the edge. So kind of the issue is that the edge before was dealt with a very finite set of technologies and issues, but today you have cloud, hybrid cloud, complex ecosystems, Internet of Things that is being deployed in oh so many different ways. I mean, it has a little bit to do with the architectural sense of the edge, but it has as much to do, I suspect, with what's actually in this thing. Like how many pieces are moving? The edge was a fairly narrowly defined term that not that many people were interested in um, not too long ago. But the, the result of Moore's Law and, and creating more powerful things is that and connecting those things together with faster and faster networks, uh, wireless and wired networks, has kind of resulted in this idea that we can somehow deploy applications where components of those applications exist across many different parts uh, in the physical world. So you could, I mean, the quintessential example I always give is, is um, I'm walking in my mobile phone, my mobile phone has a map pulled up because I'm navigating in a new city. I walk up to a traffic light, why should I have to push a button? Why can't my mobile phone communicate with that, that traffic light system and, and understand that I have to get across the road and a bunch of other people have to get across the road and make really smart decisions about getting people in cars uh, efficiently where they need to go? That kind of a system doesn't work if you, everything has to go back to the data center or the cloud to get every decision made. It requires this interaction of traffic lights and mobile phones and servers at mobile base stations and all kinds of things. And so this idea of the edge has really captured folks' imagination about what could we do if the things around us were smarter and communicated and had more intelligence in them. It's really expanded to that. Yeah, I'm gonna show I'm gonna show my age, I think, because you know, from a networking standpoint, there was always a sense that the edge had some bandwidth predictability to it. I mean, there was always an acceptance of bursty apps or what have you, but they were limited in scope. But what you're talking about is a number of things that are unpredictable. The uptake of these different use cases, just the sheer volume of use cases, and once deployed, how bursty are they? It must be boggling to design the edge to be able to support the kind of latency requirements that you would, you know, when you're crossing the road, that happens in a certain period of time. How do you handle the idea of how big the edge should be so you don't overbuild and don't underbuild? Yeah, that's, a, that's a pretty tough question, Victor. It's pretty deep. It really depends on the business outcome and the use case you're going after. And I think that uh, to some extent, it requires a lot of skills uh, up and down the stack uh, to 
Let me, for example, there are a lot of considerations for how do you create the right connectivity at the edge have to do with your networking configuration, right? So defining an edge application may require you have somebody who can design or use virtual networking components or virtual networking infrastructure. And that may be something that's a new skill set uh, for application developers who are trying to deploy applications to the edge. Um, so, I mean, I think it, bring, it requires bringing together a lot of moving pieces in ways that we haven't ever done before. It's one of the reasons why I was having a conversation with uh, HP Enterprise today about their, you know, how they're enabling the edge. And it's easy to look at that vendor and say, oh, they make the edge line servers. They're an infrastructure vendor. I can go buy a box for edge from them. But they said something really interesting to me to me, Victor, and that is the way that they're going to market on edge is more services than it is hardware and software because it requires you bringing all, the right hardware, the right networks, uh, the right engineers to, to, to work on what kind of latency requirements you have, the right people to lay the software stack down across edge devices. Then you bring in the analytics, maybe in the, in the machine learning. It's a it's a different model for building solutions than deploying things into the data center or the cloud where you have a high degree of control and can to some extent guarantee performance levels. So Brian, why is this becoming so important today? Is there something happening in the market? Like IoT was a big thing and a couple years ago we were just talking about that. But are there things in the market that are driving businesses or IT folks to take a hard look at this? Well, there's a couple of forces going on that I think uh, all come together. Uh, most importantly, it's the move of, of interest away from being purely digital. I mean, for a very long time, businesses were interested in how do I how do I digitize this thing, which generally meant how do I take something a process that's going on and how do I build a new software system around it in my data center or now first or in the cloud to make it more efficient. That's pretty much table stakes now. We've been doing that for a very long time. And so I think the new new here is realizing that uh, with few exceptions, business happens out in the real world. Mm. I mean, we sit at our desks, we shop, we, we meet, uh, we make decisions uh, in the real world. And so the question around edge is how do I exploit the growing power of all the dev compute devices around me, my phone, my computer, the the computer in my refrigerator, uh, the server in the shopping mall, the, the computer in the, in, in the traffic light. How do I use all those things that are increasingly connected in ways to bring the automation and intelligence closer to where business is actually happening? And that's excited a lot of people outside the traditional kind of industrial PLC control system space where I, I think as Victor pointed out, that's been going on for many years. Well, now we're thinking about some similar things in many different contexts and different use cases, which has sparked this, this conversation uh, about uh, the edge. Along those lines, there's a growing set of use cases that are time critical and arguably life critical. So the idea of emerging smart highways, vehicle to infrastructure communications, vehicle to vehicle, other things that the essence of time can decide, you know, life, crash, whatever it might be. As we think of edge, are, are we making a distinction between those things that are lifetime critical and those things that are not? So how does the edge play as it relates to time? Well, obviously the edge, is, 
the edge is about bringing intelligence closer to where that intelligence is needed. So there's reasons, obviously, latency is, is one thing. Mo moving data from point A to point B from, from wherever business is happening back to the cloud or data center and back out to the edge is, is expensive. Uh, there's security issues with trans tra transmitting data from point A to point B. So there's a number of reasons uh, for talking about this edge thing. Um, you bring up a very good point, though, and, and I was having a conversation with the client the other day about kind of the future of edge. And, and when you think about things that people's lives are dependent on, right, um, there's a lot of work that's gone into making sure that the software systems in airplanes, in, in oil refineries, uh, I think I was talking to an oil and gas company, are engineered in such a way that they are highly reliable. The edge conversation then introduces a wrinkle into that because it says instead of putting all the intelligence and the reliability into the system that's right around me that my engineers can design and control and make sure that it's going to provide for safety, maybe I distribute some components now uh, back into the cloud or back into the data center or outside the environment that I control and I create this network distributed intelligence system that should be able to do some things more intelligently. The problem with that approach, and it's one of the big debates that's going on in Edge right now, is how do I know I can trust such a system? What if the network goes down? What if a component that I don't control goes down? If someone's life's on the line, that's not good enough. So right now, I think what a lot of folks who are investigating Edge are really exploring is this, what are the use cases in which I can rely or I can use a distributed, less reliable system to give me some benefits while still not putting uh, mission critical or uh, human endangering things uh, into, into my process. If I use an analogy on, in the banking space, which is if I, if I want to lend money to Jen 10 years ago, I go into my account, I go into from edge to core and then back out to you. Like that's how it would work. Now we do peer-to-peer -peer lending. So we're, we're sitting essentially outside the bank per se, but nonetheless, we're transacting. And so it used to be that I was outside the edge and I interfaced with the bank. Now I am the edge because I'm actually delivering a banking experience to Jen in that example. So do, do companies think of the human being as at the edge, outside the edge? And is that part of the complexity is where is it really and, and how far do they want to go in terms of owning the experience of the human being in that example? Well, I think that's, the, that's one of the interesting reasons why there's so much conversation about this right now is, is that that boundary isn't defined. It really depends on who you talk to. And if you talk to a vendor, they're going to define the edge in such a way that it works for, for, for their marketing message. Yep. And that's what we're trying to do at Forrester is we're trying to, uh, we're, we're writing some research uh, and we're starting off a whole research stream in which we're going to you know, make some, make some assertions based on the research about what's important and, and, and define what the edge is. Because like you said, I think it's a, it, it's a little bit confusing and it's a little bit wondering, well, where does the edge end and where does it, where does it not? If the edge ends at the phone in my pocket, that's a different set of use cases and a different set of considerations than if the edge ends at the ATM device that I use, right? And, and so, you know, we're researching that right now. So, Brian, you mentioned earlier the example of the cell phone going out to the traffic light. And, I mean, that does call upon the concept of 
ownership, which is if I want to own it at the phone, I stop or at the device, I stop there. But if I'm actually going to own the relationship between the cell phone and the traffic light, I'm really into a space where I have to own the experience of things that I might not myself own, but depend on their design of the edge. And I mean, the dependencies on others so that I, I may not own the entire experience or the entire achievement, but nonetheless, I do. I suspect that's part of the complexity here is how far can I go in terms of the, the delivery or the guarantees or the commitments I'm making to customers to deliver something? Yeah, it's, it's one of the complex complexities we first visited when we started looking at IoT. And I think this whole edge conversation taking, taking into account use cases beyond IoT, it really does get complicated. I also think that's one of the areas that of interest when we think about the edge is uh, in yesteryear, you would have to, for every particular um, behavioral nuance of a person or for everything that could go wrong, in a scenario, you'd have to program uh, a business rule. You'd have to configure if this happens, then do that. If this disconnects, then do that. You had a lot of different kind of if-then rules that you had to create to make such a distributed system work. Uh, the really neat thing that we're seeing, even though it's still fairly early days, uh, is we wrote about in 2017 this trend called software learns to learn. And I think that's the really exciting thing about AI or machine learning is that we can build software systems that can learn so they don't need to be specifically programmed for every every case, every corner case. Um, and I think that's really important here because when we think about the edge, the really important part of it is we are now starting to see a glimmer of the capability to deploy machine learning algorithms to the edge in such a way that they might someday be able to handle a lot of the complexities in communications and the complexities and what if this fails and what data should we pass through. And if we can create distributed machine learning software systems that handle a lot of that stuff, we can deploy much more complex capabilities to the edge with a lot more dependencies and still hope to have performance. And that's, that's what's really exciting. It's something I call, I call edge intelligence. Yeah, and I, I suspect that's massively important because your point is the, if the uptake models aren't clear and something occurs that's a different behavior from a customer to customer or it might be, something has to learn that something has changed and adapt accordingly. And the expectation would be that adaptation happens in near real time. Well, and that's and and being able to do that is the whole reason why edge is interesting because uh, in today in today's model, typically you're going to run some kind of machine learning algorithm off in a runtime in the cloud or your data center somewhere. So every decision that needs to be made or everything that machine learning algorithm is supposed to sense and respond to requires some kind of a round trip up up to wherever that model is, and then you have to hope and wait for the for the insight to come back down. Uh, and that doesn't scale well enough to be able to do things out in the real world at the edge. And so the hope is, and not, I wouldn't call it hope, hope is probably the wrong word. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing from a research perspective is more and more sophisticated kind of machine learning deployment capabilities. So let me give you an example. Um, uh, probably the most sophisticated kind of machine learning model to deploy to the edge is uh, deep learning, which is one of our top uh, emerging technologies in our in our report last year, and it's certainly fascinated everyone about what it is. Um, it's a it's a layered neural net. Uh, 
And the thing about these layered neural nets is once you train them up on big data sets, like in computer vision, for example, image recognition, um, you get a runtime piece of software that has to go run somewhere to take in that image and output what uh, what that image it thinks that image is, for example. These runtimes are, are big. Um, so the model training a lot of data, so you have to do that centrally, perhaps in your data center in the cloud. And the output runtime software that it creates is big. Uh, it's often, you know, I'm not big like terabytes, but big on the, I would say, on the megabyte scale. Still too big to deploy to very small battery limited devices. So there's a lot of effort going on right now in research, like Google um, has this thing called um, Learn to Compress. And what Learn to Compress does is it takes a one of these trained neural nets that has a that's pretty big, and it and it compresses or it squeezes it down by by a, a bunch of different really advanced techniques into a smaller package that can be deployed out to smaller and smaller devices. And this is like the cutting edge of research right now. So as as we get better at doing these things, we're going to be able to deploy more sophisticated machine learning type intelligence scenarios out into these complex edge environments. But it requires a lot of experimentation to figure out how far we can go. Because like we talked about previously, there's a safety aspect. There's certain safety related mission critical things that you're just not going to trust for a fairly long time. These new advanced machine learning algorithms that are kind of opaque to do when somebody's life's on the line or a lot of money's on the line. So we've got a ways to go, but that's kind of where the cutting edge is heading. So Brian, I assume that there's a enhanced security question or some sort of security component and consideration here as, as folks are moving to the edge or considering edge computing or the intelligent edge. It, it, it's absolutely huge. We asked about edge computing this year for the first time in our um, business journeys and priority survey, which is our, our largest uh, um, B2B survey. And the biggest challenge with implementing edge computing was security. So yeah, you, you really hit the nail on the head. Um, a client asked me about the, that the other day, and you know, I'm not a security analyst, but I, I would tell you that I think conquering this requires an implementation of zero trust, which is something that we've been writing about at Forster for a long time. And, and I'm not a zero trust expert, but, but my, under, my conceptual understanding of zero trust is you have to look at every packet that's flowing along your network, and every packet has to be in some respect tagged with the kind of information that it has. So rather than, rather than trusting data that gets through your network firewall, you're looking at everything, no matter where it is, in this extended network that includes your edge, and you have to build intelligence into those edge systems that can extend your implementation of zero trust to make sure that that information that's being dealt with there does not contain information that, that you do not want uh, to be snooped on or, or intercepted uh, so it, it, it's huge, and that's just the uh, the information in motion kind of aspect of it. Yeah, and I guess in the same along the same lines is the whole concept of privacy, because at the edge will sit human biometric data. I mean, some of the most personal data possible is free flowing across these networks and systems, and I suspect that this is this is going to force people to rethink the value exchange of moving personal data and. Possibly exposing it to the value they get back from it. 
the issue here, and one of the reasons why Edge is so interesting to talk about right now is we could see these things coming for a very long time. In fact, we probably talked about this five years ago, and we could have had this conversation 15 years ago because we saw devices were getting more powerful, computers, networks were getting uh, faster, we had wireless. We could all kind of see this coming at us, but right now it's right in front of us. We can build distributed systems with a lot more intelligence in the real world, closer to where we are and where we where we live and where we do business. And it, it creates these issues of security, privacy, versus uh, almost an infinite number of, of places to go innovate around new business models and new digital business value. So it's, it's really escalated the conversation to the point where we have to have it now before it's too late. And I imagine that for 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 providers in certain markets, it was it will go from a cool idea to let's test it to let's deploy it to someone else did it and now it's either a competitive risk or competitive differentiation. You're going to go from I'm thinking about an animal to I need to be best in class in a fairly short period of time. I mean, these are going to be short cycles to deliver to market, I would suspect. I think maybe you're going to see a lot of that, but I also think that you're going to see a lot of experimentation and not a lot of action for a while because it's going to be a last mile problem. These things are going to be fairly easy to dream up a business case and put the technology together to do it. It's solving the human issues of privacy. It's solving complex security issues. And it's trusting these systems to the level that you need to trust them that's going to take time. So I really think it's going to be very similar to what we're, we're seeing today with artificial intelligence. There's a whole lot of activity in POCs and not a whole lot of value until people solve the problems that technology, frankly, can't solve. Well, and also the consideration that I think Victor was bringing up before is like the interaction or the ecosystem, right? Like you can do your piece, but if other firms aren't connecting in the way that you want to be connecting or sharing the information that would be useful, there's a component there that's just – that may be a gating function for it to to operate the way that you would like it to operate. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. Um, I do. It's really interesting because one of the things that we had to get through just in, in, in terms of business best practice is how to operate in a digital ecosystem, which is something, you know, we as businesses have been learning for a decade or so now, but it's not something that before we knew how to do. So you're used to operating in that ecosystem mode where you're dependent on information uh, and partnerships uh, and you've put the right systems and processes in place to have and trust those dependencies. I think you'll be in a better place to kind of apply what you've learned to these distributed edge systems. So, Brian, in 2019, we're all sort of pointing at a possible economic slowdown and you see some of the thought processes around automation pointing at uh, going after margin, going after cost reduction. So how do you think of the economics of the edge in a time and place where much of the thinking of automation goes towards the efficiency gain, not necessarily bringing new capabilities to market at that kind of pace? Well, I think there's a whole lot of edge use cases that are, are all about efficiency. Um, most of them are in the IoT space because we think there's a lot of overlap between IoT and edge. They're not separate things. But I was talking with a vendor the other day that was talking about uh, a customer where they developed an analytic capability in process manufacturing to use edge computing to discover 
chemical out of spec processes very quickly. And, and what happens in process manufacturing, if you're combining a bunch of chemicals and you get it wrong, one batch is out of spec or, or one temperature is too high, the whole batch goes bad and it goes in the trash and it's very, very expensive. Um, so they had discovered this use case in which you could, I think it was by looking at temperatures and doing thermal imaging, to look at temperatures in, in, in process manufacturing. And it, it seems simple, but it was a whole lot more complicated and required a number of components, both in the cloud and out at the edge, to really detect when one of these, pro one of these batches might be bad. And, and that, that, I think the number they were telling me was, you know, it's saving $750,000 every time you, every time you, you caught the fact that a batch uh, didn't go bad because you were able to catch it. So I think that there's a whole lot of use cases out there that, that involve edge computing capability and intelligence that are about saving money. And so I think that if we do have an economic downturn, that could be more of a driver and not less of a driver, specifically because of these use cases that exist in terms of how do you improve and save money. Yeah, as you're as you talking, it struck me that there's this use case of when you deploy IoT into the agriculture world, into the, the plant itself, and by doing so, you are conserving finite water, water resources. You're cons you're you're maximizing the value of the of the harvest. I mean, I, I guess you're you're right. When there's a lot of ways that you, the edge actually changes the way you run your business or the way you farm. Yeah, the whole precision ag agriculture thing. Um, I mean, but you you bring up a really good point, Victor, and something I've been wanting to say for a few minutes, and that is, it's real easy to get to wander between IoT and edge and IoT and edge because. So many of the things that we've thought about and examples that we have for years have been around that. Um, so I think it's probably worth talking about how we're starting to view what edge is. So it doesn't just be another word for IoT. I think of edge as a set of use cases or that are grouped into, into three primary business scenarios, right? So you're going to design a connected product and improve the customer experience. You're going to optimize a process as physical assets. And the third set of use cases is you're going to reuse some data or some insight from data. Uh, you're going to sell it or you're going to commercialize it in some way. So with those three different use cases being really what IoT solutions are all about, edge computing, i.e. doing things on, on devices at the edge of your network uh, in a distributed way is a huge piece of that but there's other pieces as well. So one of the big debates going on in IoT right now is, is mobile part of IoT? And a lot of folks will tell you, no, IoT is device to device. So as soon as you bring a human with a mobile phone into the equation, it's no longer IoT. Other folks would say, no, that is IoT. We think of edge engagement as a sec second set of use cases that's related to IoT, but it's where you bring the human into the loop. The human has a watch, human has a, a smartphone, human has a tablet, and that human is interacting with the environment in some intelligent way without having to round trip everything back uh, uh, to the cloud or, or the data center. And so edge engagement is about humans. Edge IoT is more about machine to machine. And then there's this third area of edge, which is more about digital data exchange and business to business. So an example of that would be the evolution of content delivery networks. Um, CDNs have been around for a very long time. It's kind of caching methodologies, but I had a conversation with the CDN vendor the other day that recognized that, that they had these clusters of CDN servers all around the globe that initially were optimized 
to, to deliver content uh, and cache content next to where people needed it. But what they're discovering is now that they have this infrastructure deployed, they can begin to deploy an application layer over that infrastructure across multiple geographic regions. And this application infrastructure then is very useful for doing all kinds of, of edge things. Um, and a lot of those things are like business to business data exchange. Uh, colo, colo, cap, um, colo facility vendors are doing very similar things. They're, they realize they have a lot of these data centers, micro data centers, lights out data centers, co-location data centers that, are, that a lot of businesses have deployed their software into or their systems into. And these businesses want to exchange information. Therefore, they're saying, well, I have all these co-location centers that are kind of the edge. And what if I built a fabric over those colo centers that enabled my customers to deploy these complex distributed applications around the cloud in an edge fashion. So we see this kind of B2B digital exchange kind of edge use case. It's very different from the IoT and the engagement part, but all part of this, this idea of edge computing. So I'm listening to this podcast. I have a sense that this thing is coming. It's big, it's complex, it's important. What are the steps that I'm taking now to ensure that I stay apace with things, learn as I must, to ensure that as Edge matures, I'm fully capitalizing on its potential for my business? Great question. I think the first thing you have to do is recognize that a lot of the things that you're doing today, because it's easy in the cloud or the data center, you need to start figuring out which of those things would be better done closer to where business is happening at the edge. And once you start to get a handle on, on that, I think the next issue is, is you need to figure out kind of where some of the different component technologies are today. What, what is an edge server and why do I need it? What, what is edge analytics and what, is, what does machine learning mean at the edge? you need to really start to educate yourself on this or at least have a team that's working on these things so that you can develop a set of experiments as part of a process we call technology-driven innovation to understand what's new and possible, uh, you know, understand the art of the possible in this edge thing. So as opportunities present themselves, you are in a position to have an intelligent conversation with a set of vendors or a service provider about how you might prove out some of these ideas and discover things that truly differentiate you, that are truly disruptive. Uh, and that's and then and then you need to be ready to do those experiments and, and start to make those investments. I feel educated. <laughs> you must have followed that one for a long time. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> Brian, thank you so much for your time today. It was great. Always a pleasure. Sure, absolutely. It's always fun. Thank you.
If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.